episode 50 of the Vincast is only one more episode away and I cannot wait to introduce all of the new elements I've talked about on that momentous occasion and also have the opportunity to chat with listeners like yourself on the Vincast. Uh, if you have a question you would like answered uh, for the uh, the new segment, Ask the Wino, make sure you use the hashtag Ask the Wino on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, uh, and then I will be happy to answer that question to the best of my ability. And as we approach episode 50, it is a great opportunity for people to get involved with the show. If you would like to uh, potentially sponsor the show or if you would like to support it in some other way, please do get in contact with me on thevincast at gmail.com because I would love to hear from you. And as always, it is great to have you provide me with feedback, um, most importantly by subscribing to the podcast also rating and reviewing it and leaving a lovely comment for me. But I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello there, Vincasters, and welcome back to episode 49 of the Vincast. My name is James Gersbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. And as I mentioned, episode 50, only one more episode to go. Uh, I cannot wait. It is very exciting. Can't believe it. Uh, I've got to this point. I, uh, I really do appreciate everyone who has been listening to the podcast. If you are a new listener, welcome on board. Um, I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, if you are a long time listener, obviously I appreciate your ongoing support. Uh, as always, it's great to hear from people via social media or even in real life when they tell me they listen to the podcast. And it's uh, it's great to have people getting excited about this kind of new form of, um, of wine communication. Um, it's a little bit different uh, and um, I, I do appreciate people um, giving it a go. Uh, if you didn't hear uh, last uh, Sunday in uh, Melbourne, I was actually on community radio on Inner FM 96.5. And uh, my good friend and former guest, several times actually, Sam Hooper, uh, got in contact with me and asked if I'd be interested in uh, in being on The Wine Show, which is every Sunday from 9 till 11 a.m., and uh, and of course I said yes because I would wanted to uh, to chat about uh, what podcasts are and how people can listen to uh, to people chatting about wine on a, on a digital format. So um, if you did listen, um, I, I'd, I'd love to hear from you what you thought, um, and uh, and hopefully I might get the opportunity to do that again. Now um, episode fifty. One more week away. I'm looking forward to big new things. Uh, as always, would love to have some suggestions about more guests, um, topics you'd like discussed. Um, don't forget that uh, I'm going to be asking you a question at the end of every episode from uh, from next week. So make sure you have your thinking caps on and do get in touch with me. So if you've listened to the Vincast for a number of episodes, you may have noticed that I do have a great love of alternative varieties, particularly Italian varieties, being grown and produced into wine here in Australia. And I thought uh, there would be no one better to talk about that than Kim and Tennille Chalmers, who are my guests for this week's episode. 
and have been very, very largely responsible for the introduction of a lot of different Italian grape varieties into Australia through their family's nursery uh, and also in terms of planting the grapes, making the wines uh, under the Chalmers brand, but also uh, providing grapes to other uh, producers to uh, to make their own wines as well. And so they um, dialed in from Mildura via Skype uh, to talk about the, the, the backgrounds, what they do, and also the upcoming 21st Century Vino event, which you should definitely get on board with uh, if you are in Melbourne. Now, we'll just make a note that um, with the Skype uh, with Mildura, there was a little bit of uh, lag. So the audio quality is not uh, fantastic um, for, for most of the, uh, the episode. Um, but I do hope you get through it because um, it was a really fascinating chat. I hope you enjoy it and I will see you on the other side. Kim, Tennille, thank you very much for uh, making some time for me uh, to be on the Vincast today. Uh, how's the weather where you guys are? Beautiful Mildura morning. Um, autumn is a great time of year. We get um, some really nice warm sunny days, usually around kind of 20, you know, uh, mid-20s. Um, it's a pretty good place to be at this time of year. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, I'm obviously down here in Melbourne. Uh, you know, it's a lovely sunny day. It's really weird to be having this kind of consistently good weather. Autumn is like my, my favourite time of year, I think, for that very reason. Nice, cool evenings, good sleeping weather and beautiful days. Mm. And vintage is over. <laughs> <laughs> How was the vintage for this year? Vintage was great. A beautiful, mild, um, ripening season. We're um, always on the lookout for heat spikes and heat waves in both our vineyards, which are obviously um, northern Heathcote and um, just outside of Mildura as well, so two pretty warm areas. Um, and that no, was a beautiful, beautiful vintage, uh, great fruit, great, um, I guess um, some of some of the uh, fruit was ripe a bit earlier than usual, and I think across Victoria a lot of producers and growers found that as well, but I'm really happy with the quality of what we're seeing in the winery so far. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, having our, um, our vintage spread across two sites also, you know, means that fruit starts coming in, you know, some of the early kind of experimental block varieties, northern Italian varieties start coming in in mid-January and then we don't pick, for instance, our Alienico at Heathcote until mid-April. So it's, it take, it's a lot of harvesting over a long period of time. A bit of driving as well, I would imagine. Bit of driving, a few <laughs> kilometres back and forth with trailers. And... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, can you guys uh, remember kind of the earliest memories you had of wine? Uh, you know, coming from a, a wine family. Well, it's funny you say that because our family wasn't really a wine family. We were a grapevine family. <laughs> okay, so we were great. always really involved in the in the viticulture side and the nursery um, and grew up around all of that stuff. But, you know, mum and dad had a wine, you know, on the weekend or whatever, but it wasn't they weren't really into that side of things. They were more into the, actually the growing of the vines. And honestly, like most Australian kids, we grew up with um, a cask on the top shelf in the in the fridge and that's you know i mean we're talking about agency that's kind of what everyone had kicking around at home yeah and horton's white burgundy yeah. and you know scotch and seal chardonnay was kicking around for a yeah. while then. <laughs> yeah. uh in the in the 80s 90s yeah so not so much like our childhood was not so much kind of wine 
trees, but more so, um, you know, I mean, we lived in the middle of a vineyard and um, so it was obviously around us all the time and, you know, you really start noticing or well, you pay attention to the seasons, just growing up in the land and that kind of thing. So that's probably more so our childhood, the, the grapevines and the wine. The sounds of the uh, mechanical harvester at night time during vintage and the rattly bins going down the rows and things, that's a pretty strong memory. When, when did your family actually get involved in, in growing grapes? They planted their first vineyard in about 85 um, and then by 89 they'd started Chalmers Nurseries, which, you know, at the beginning did lots of different sorts of propagations, so almonds and some flowers and, you know, pistachios and all sorts, but eventually hit on grapevines and stuck to that. So once they started um, doing grafted grapevines in the early 90s, um, every year mum and dad planted a bit more vineyard and a bit more vineyard and it went from, I think that first little block was five acres and when we sold the property in 2008 it was um, 600 hectares. Wow, okay. And and growing up in that part of, uh, of of the country would have been pretty interesting, you know. Mildura is somewhat isolated, but you know it's a it is a, a warmer region as far as viticulture. Um, did that kind of was that an interesting experience growing up in that kind of uh, climate? Well, the the industry here in that period, like from the mid nineties to the early two thousands, was absolutely picking so there was a lot of excitement and positivity you know like the wines that were being produced out of the vineyards here were the biggest selling Australian wines and you know some of the biggest selling wines in the world at that time think you know Lindemann's bin 65 Chardonnay and things like that which you know made Australia a name as an international wine producing you know area you know they're not probably the ones that we all hang our hats on now but there was a lot of excitement around that at the time and and so it was a really positive um time in the industry here um you know in terms of our own uh, sensibilities growing up we, it, it, cha- it has changed the way that we view vintage operations we the way that we think about fruit ripeness the way that we you know grow up from a cool region is chasing ripeness so they want to pluck leaves they want to expose fruit they want to they want to get the sugar to a certain level when you come from a warm region, you think the opposite way. You want to shade the fruit, you want to protect it, you want to pick as early as possible but with with physical ripeness. So you want to have a variety that's, you know, going to hang out a long time but not accumulate too much sugar. So it certainly affects growing up in this kind of a climate, affects the way that you view grape growing and it, if it, it affects or it should affect the way that you approach it and the techniques that you apply. Yeah, okay. Uh, what, where was the fruit going back back when you were just sort of in the viticulture side uh, in the nursery? Um, we were growing grapes for a lot of the the large corporate companies. So that's um, going off to Pernod Ricard, which was Orlando then, and things like McGuigan, which is now Australian Vintage, and Southcorp, which is now Treasury Wine Estates and places like that. We grew a lot of grapes for Casella. Um, we had a Pinot Grigio vineyard that was a thousand acres alone. I think we worked out at the time we planted it for Casella. It was the largest Pinot Grigio vineyard in the world. Far so out. So mostly um, mainstream wines. Yeah, we have always since, since importing all the Italian varieties through the nursery. 
um, in the late 90s. Um, during the 2000s, we began to sell small parcels of the alternative varieties, the Italian varieties, to lots of other producers as well. So we've worked with people like Brown Brothers and things like that who who use those varieties as well as, you know, smaller boutique producers. But the bulk of the grapes went to um, commercial wine production. Sure. Where was any of the fruit being made into your own wine, even if just just for sort of personal consumption, or or did you get some back from some of the uh, the people you're selling fruit to? Yeah, from um, from 2001 onwards, we uh, we made some wines. We were initially involved in Boynton's Winery in the Alpine Valleys um, as a partner for for a little while, and we made some wines there from our traditional varieties, so Bordeaux blends and things like that, as well as a couple of experimental um, batches of Vermentino and Pinot Grigio and things, Viognier, I think. Um, never scared of trying something new. Um, but we started what is now our Chalmers brand in 2003, so we were sending. Um, parcels of hand-picked uh, premium grapes off that vineyard down to Kuyong to have wines made under the Murray Darling Collection banner, which was our sort of experimental breeding ground where we tried out lots and lots of different things. Um, and out of that few vintages came the China's range of wines as we know it now. Right. Did you both kind of always feel that you were going to, you know, follow that kind of path into the wine industry in terms of winemaking and, you know, starting an actual Chalmers brand? No, I I mean, in, in a word, no. Um, <laughs> we both uh, went off on our different kind of tangents quite far away from the wine industry because, you know, like as Kim's just explained, um, mum and dad were, you know, they started the business at a time when there was um, just about to be real growth, obviously, in the Australian wine industry and, um, you know, their business ended up being quite large in that, you know, um, volume of production and whatnot. So that's not really the path that we were interested in um, going down. Um, not so much that it wasn't interesting, but, you know, it had become such a big company that we, we prefer working with, you know, smaller parcels and more kind of hands-on and that kind of thing rather than um, too big of a scale. So when we did take the direction of these, I mean, it really started with the imports of the new varieties because there was this whole new breath of fresh air and excitement and there was a lot of education that came along with it, not just, um, you know, I think Kim and I say to each other at least once a month, if, we, if mum and dad just made Chardonnay and Shiraz, we would never have kind of gone back into the family business and still be here now. So, you know, what got us excited was that scaling down the production, being very hands-on right from growing to, you know, making selling, you know, getting it in people's glasses and education, I think, was one of the, or, and still is one of the really fun parts of our jobs. We go around and we get to teach people about Sacramento and Adianico and cool stuff like that, um, of which, you know, for an example, those two varieties, we're still making in really small production, you know, like kind of 200 cases a year perhaps. So we've gone kind of the opposite end of the industry within the last, you know, kind of decade or so. Yeah, well, we made um, the very first Alienico and Sagrantino in Australia um, from the from those varieties, the mother plantings of those varieties we brought in in 2004. When you think about that, you know, that those wines came out a decade ago and you think about 
the position that those varieties are in now in the industry. I came back from from a stint in Italy in 2005 and started managing um, the Chalmers Wine project then and landed back to find, you know, hundreds of cases of Australian-grown Alienico to sell and was like, where do I begin? Um, and, you know, even now we, we probably don't make as much as we did those first couple of years when we got very excited about, you know, how these vines were looking and, and the potential of them in Australia, and I think that potential is certainly going now. Um, but that, yeah, that's, that's sort of I, – I had a um, – career in music. I studied music composition at uni in Adelaide and I was teaching electronic music and composition and um, doing postgraduate study uh, in music before I kind of went for a bit of a stint overseas and came back and did a bit of work in the family business when I got back to save some pennies and ended up staying and and here I am 10 years later. And what about you, Tanil? I, um, after school, I was pretty focused on just as many experiences in the shortest space of time possible. I just started to travel and work and travel and work and ended up really having a passion for um, the food industry. So I worked in some beautiful restaurants across Australia and um, ended up kind of, well, I didn't, you know, by kind of osmosis, I guess, I, I realised that I did know a bit about wine and more than the average person because of growing up in the in the industry and um, it naturally led to me having more of, you know, wine writing and, and some roles in the most recent years in, in the um, restaurant scene, which was great. I loved it. Um, really fun industry to work in and it all kind of, you know, I guess it was probably about 2009, 2010, and I realised how into learning about wine and everything that I was from that perspective, and I thought, okay, this is time now to join the family business. So I, I moved back to Mildura in 2010 and joined the family business then. So I'm, I'm really interested to kind of um, find out what the, the um, impetus was to actually start importing alternative varieties even when that when you when the family was starting to do that the alternative varieties probably extended as far as maybe pinot grigio and and maybe sangiovese and stuff like that but obviously you guys have brought in a lot of different varieties particularly in terms of italian varieties um what what was the market like for them and 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 what led you to believe that there was going to be a much bigger market for them in the future uh, passion on mum and dad's behalf and a little bit of craziness, um, but also a little bit of kind of giving back, I suppose, because they, they were so busy during that period in the mid-90s, grafting vines of the top four varieties, you know, your Cabernet, your Chardonnay, your Merlot, your um, Shiraz, etc. You know, I think in the biggest year in the nursery, they grafted four million vines in one year alone. Um, and they realised that, that these same sort of suite of varieties were getting planted all over the countryside in every different region in Australia and sooner or later people would want to maybe look outside that for something else for the purpose of, you know, diversity, for the purpose of sustainability in terms of planting the right thing in the right place. And they also, you know, had been to Italy and um, and were really inspired by the sort of wine culture in Italy where wine is not just a, you know, an alcoholic beverage to, to drink that should be, you know, this all things to all people, you know, 
huge all-encompassing experience that wine is there to be on the table with friends and family and a meal and it's you know it's more a part of life rather than you know a thing on its own and they were really inspired by that and so they decided to um, team up with some nurseries in Italy and um, make a selection of varieties that could potentially grow in all sorts of regions in Australia that we in our wine production have focused on warmer climate varieties for obvious reasons um, but they also imported lots of northern Italian varieties and other things that, you know, work well in other sort of climates around Australia as well. Um, and I think that, you know, when we when we did start looking for something different, they were there at the ready. I don't think they – I think they thought that, you know, it could be popular. And Dad, when the vines first arrived, Dad went around and had meetings with all these corporate wine-producing companies that were, you know, doing really well at the time and you know, why not try this? This could be amazing. And they sort of just laughed and said, we'll never be interested in that stuff. You know, look, we're, we're doing so well with these things that we already know. Why, why should we go and try something different? Um, and if you talk to all of those companies now, they all um, produce these some of this suite of varieties in some way, shape or form, which is really exciting. But more than that, it's actually the the smaller producers who are really embracing them and, and building up their stories of their brand around these varieties and just giving people more to play with more options, which in turn gives consumers more options, which is great. Can you just quickly explain the process of actually importing a, a grape, a new, a new grape variety, a new vine into Australia? Absolutely. Look, this is something that we're actually going to be covering at um, 21st Century Vino because not a lot of people know what is involved. 21st Century Vino is a, a showcase event that we're doing this month at Fed Square in Melbourne on Sunday the 17th and it starts off with um, a forum with three sessions. One of the sessions is going to talk about this in particular because when you select a variety, let's say you woke up in the morning and you decided, I want to grow Norello Muscalese. Um, and so how do I do that? So first of all, you have to go and find a source of the material in Europe, um, in Italy, and, and that source preferably is uh, a nursery or someone who has, you know, strict rules about DNA profiling and sanitary, you know, sanitary conditions, phytosanitary conditions of the plant, so you're not bringing in viruses or off-type vines. Um, and then once that happens, they send a dormant cutting, so just a stick, um, they probably send 10 sticks just to make sure, and it comes over by air freight, collected from customs at the airport and checked and, you know, uh, treated for heat treated or fumigated, depending on where it comes in. And then it goes straight into a quarantine nursery that's run by the federal government, the Quarantine Inspection Service. And they actually propagate that stick and grow it there. Um, and at the time that mum and dad did their imports, it was for three growth cycles, so about two and a half years. So they've got a little pot plant there, um, kind of like about a nine-litre bucket sort of size with one little vine in it that they're growing in a greenhouse. And it grows there and it goes dormant, grows it's dormant, gross. And then they do a whole heap of tests on it to make sure that it's all cool. And then they give it to you. So by the time all this has happened, it's about three years later. And then you get one pot plant. <laughs> and then you've got to prop, you've basically got to propagate to, to have enough to actually uh, get a vineyard out of it. 
Yeah, so so the title of that session that we were talking about at 21st Century Vino is One Vine Can Start a Revolution. Because if you think about varieties that weren't existing in Australia before or that we imported, like Naradavala, Sagrantino, Alienico, that one little pot plant that we took delivery of has turned into every Naradavala vineyard in this country. Yeah, that's incredible. And... and the the actual selection process of the variety, what sort of research do you um, put in as far as w- deciding what variety you think is going to work or are you just trying to bring in a, a whole range of things with the idea of different varieties going to work in different climates? Yep, a bit of both, but we're very serious about, um, you know, who we team up with and, and the main nursery we work with is a VCR nursery in Rafshedo in northeastern Italy. It's the largest grapevine nursery in the world. In fact, they ship vines to every other country in the world apart from Australia because of our quarantine laws. So they sell vines to, to everyone um, and we're their agent here. So they have a really really exciting and stringent research process. They actually go right through the whole cycle of growing the vine, testing its agronomic aspects, testing its viticultural, you know, preferences. They've actually done all the hard work for us and then we select from their catalogue clones that they've already registered, um, things that we think exactly what you've said, that may suit different growing regions here that have different wine styles because that's really important too. Like we need to have you know, different flavour profiles, different ageing profiles and things of the wines, I think, to really create a bit more diversity and interest in the, in the Australian industry. So that's sort of what the basis of selection is. And then then the varieties get here and, of course, they don't always do what you think that they're going to do, like something like Lagrain, which we didn't import but is a great example, um, you know, comes from Alto Adige, which is a subalpine area, and you would think that it, it would like cool climates. Well, it does like cool climates, but we also have grown it here in the Murray-Darling and we also grow it at Heathcote and we have wonderful results. And that's because we have warm summers, but we have cool nights because we're inland. So there's all these different sort of agronomic aspects that only come out once you actually try something. You know, if you just went purely based on homoclime research, which is the traditional way of making these kind of decisions, there would be some things that you you would miss because, you know, sometimes trial and error is the best way. When did the uh, Heathcote Vineyard come on board? So we sold the original um, Euston Vineyard and Nursery in 2008 and um, and following that we were, we were on the lookout for a site that would be a good site to grow the grapes for our Chalmers branded wines. So we weren't really looking to establish another big uh, vineyard, just something that was our sort of size and maybe to work with a couple of other producers. So we bought the Heathkit Vineyard in 08 and then planted in 09. But the idea was very much to be planting the uh, alternative varieties? 100%. The idea was to plant the varieties that we had already in our portfolio of wines, which was Vermentino, Fiano, Alienico, Sagrantino, Neradavala, um, things like that. We've also we've got 20 different varieties actually at Heathkit. You know, we love that sort of thing. Um, and so there's actually more varieties than go into our regular Chalmers range. We also have the Montevecchio range, which includes um, blends. So we use lots of different bits and pieces. And, of course, we do sell grapes still to other boutique producers who are working with these varieties. Yeah, I, I can imagine that, that sort of is 
is a, a bit exciting as well. Of course, you know, the Chalmers range of wines are really outstanding and, and diverse and obviously um, Cellarhand certainly down here in Melbourne are, are doing a, a really excellent job getting them out there. But is it is it really fascinating for you guys to sort of see how other producers are expressing the, the that Heathcote Vineyard and those varieties? I think um, fascinating is probably an understatement. <laughs> we get so excited to see what other people are doing with these varieties. And as Kim's just said, we do sell, um, you know, we have we grow more grapes at Heathcote than we need to for our own wine labels. And that's a bit of a deliberate decision um, in that, you know, we want to share these varieties. And ever since they literally landed in Australia, there's been a real focus on um, sharing of the knowledge that we learn from every vintage and, you know, what we're always on the end of the phone to answer questions, you know, from grape growers or winemakers or songs or whoever it might be in the industry um, that has questions about these varieties that we're growing. And by selling off small parcels of these varieties, particularly from the Heathcote um, block in the last few years and, you know, all these little brands popping up or established brands using these um, varieties, we keep a really keen eye on what other winemakers are doing with them, you know, even everything from like labelling to price points to, you know, where the where their wines are selling well and why and, you know, fruit weight or savouriness or all the things that we look for and digest and pull apart in um, the wine side of things, um, it's super exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm really fa- um, interested in the, the kind of life cycle that's been going on over the last sort of 10 years where you've got uh, young sommeliers in particular who, uh, thanks to you know, a number of really outstanding importers of particularly Italian wine, being introduced to these really amazing styles and being fascinated and then winemakers as well getting introduced to them and going over and working vintages over in Italy and then coming back and sort of saying, oh, God, I'm really – I'm really interested in in sort of seeing how we can express uh, Australia and Australian wine, but through these alternative varieties. And it's a really um, vibrant scene for me at the moment. And and obviously uh, a part of that, I think, would definitely be you know that the alternative varieties wine show, which I know you guys are, are pretty heavily involved with. And uh, you know, I'm sure that over the last sort of five years alone. The number of submissions you would be getting for for that kind of wine show would just be astonishing. Well, last year we had seven hundred entries, um, which is huge. At you know, at a time when other shows are, you know, mainstream shows are finding it tough because people aren't spending a lot of money on marketing and things. Our show is growing every year, and it's not just the entries, but it's it's our whole suite of events and our educational program. And last year we ran a fellowship and. Um, at the last year's show, we also announced our sponsor of variety, um, the wine, alternative variety wine show sponsor of variety initiative, where we're going to be calling for submissions of people to suggest a variety they think should be in Australia and that we will select a candidate and actually have it imported and placed in the national collection and available to the public on their behalf. So oh, I've got plenty of ideas for that. <laughs> <laughs> that will be opening shortly and you'll know about that. But 21st Century Vino, again, is, um, is exactly you know, you were talking about seeing what, what other producers do and getting excited and things like the wine show and talking about these big questions. I mean, 21st Century Vino is, is exactly that. I mean, for, for many years we've talked about, oh, we need to have a barbie at the vineyard and invite all the people along who buy our grapes and taste everybody's wine. But it, w- it was such a fantastic lineup of producers that we work with, people like 
Foster and Rocco, people like Adrian Sandlin, uh, you know, people like this year we've had Thickest Le- Thieves come on board. We've got, you know, Pat Sullivan, Bill Downey as well. We sell grapes to Sue Bell from Bellwether and Kate Goodman for her new Goodman range and, you know, Tellurian and other local Heathkit producers as well. It's it's such a fantastic lineup of people. We thought we can't just keep this to ourselves. You know, we, we have to do this somewhere where people can come along and get involved and try all the wines because what a shame to just show them to each other and not to everybody else. So not only are we going to have all those wines on show, we've got 48 um, producers signed up that, you know, everyone from the Granite Belt to Margaret River pretty much covered in terms of wine regions. And But we do have that forum in the morning where we ask questions like, what exactly is Australian wine? What makes wine Australian? Just because it's made from a French variety or an Italian variety, does that make a difference? Is it where you come from? Is it our cultural aspects? You know, that's that's the first session of the day and I think it's a really good one to start. We've got Max Allen um, convening that session who, of course, wrote Future Makers, um, you know, Australian wine in the 21st century. So, you know, that'll be a really enlightening start to the day. Uh, and I think, you know, having the CEO of Wine Australia on that panel as well as winemakers like Brendan Carter and Sue Bell, who are, you know, obviously doing things in the alternative variety scene and Sue coming from a more traditional background, I think that, that'll be a very exciting conversation. Uh, followed on by by the session about um, with the presenter from Italy about clones and importing and, and what's involved and, and, you know, how that all works and finishing off with a bit of, crystal ball gazing, looking at, you know, what will the next generations of Australians be growing and making and drinking and it's a pretty exciting topic. It's interesting that you mentioned uh, Max Allen. I think one of the really important um, reasons why there is so much interest in uh, alternative varieties is that there have been a number of uh, journalists and, and, and wine communicator educators who kind of got very excited about that sort of thing and possibly at a time when it wasn't particularly fashionable or the the market kind of wasn't ready for it, they were very, very involved with promoting those varieties and trying to educate consumers. So people like Max Allen, as you say, Jane Faulkner, you know, who have both obviously um, been involved with the uh, the Alternative Varieties Wine Show as well. Uh, do you think that that's had a really big impact on the interest as far as just the general public in uh, in alternative variety wines? Absolutely. I mean, exposure, you know, the more exposure to these varieties, whether it be, you know, in your wine glass or in your local newspaper or or national newspaper for that matter or that kind of thing, um, you know, the more people know about it, the more, um, you know, accessible these wines are going to get. And I like your comment before about importers bringing in these varieties, um, you know, particularly in the last 10 years. And how lucky are we to go to a restaurant in Melbourne and you can drink wines from all over Australia and all over the world, you know, that actually, or Sydney or wherever it might be, um, you know, that diversity isn't actually really available in many other, um, you know, cities around the world or countries around the world. And I think that Australians, because of our multicultural population, you know, we particularly we strive or seek um diversity and it's i think it's also partly to do with um how much we travel as well so we you know a lot of australians are you know when possibly when they're younger but even when they're older you know going over to europe for example and being introduced to these traditional styles of wines and traditional styles of cuisine 
come back and sort of say, oh, I want to embrace lots of different things. Yeah, absolutely. And how good is that? <laughs> We're so used to walking up the street and going, oh, am I going to have Thai or Indian or Italian or Japanese or fusion or this or that? And, you know, and our drinking habits are, are just the same. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so tell me, um, where can people actually uh, find out more information about 20th Century Vino and also buy some tickets? www.com. 21stcenturyvino.com.au, so that's 21stcenturyvino.com.au is the website. There's a really cool blog on there too with some little stories and about some of the varieties and um, and a blog from, from Bruce about, you know, how they initiated these things. Ticket sales are all online um, and you can get a full day pass, which includes all three uh, forums, which include wine and fabulous presenters plus the full presenter tasting in the afternoon for one fifty a ticket, which, um, you know, as somebody who attends masterclasses, James, you'd know often, you know, one session can be up to that price. So we're really keen to try and get as many people along to hear about what's going on and taste what's going on because it's just so exciting and the opportunity to have everyone in the one room like that together is is quite rare. Absolutely. And uh, can people follow 21st Century Vino on uh, social media? They sure can. We've got a page on Facebook and we're also on Instagram and Twitter as 21st Century Vino. And, uh, and as far as Chalmers, where can they uh, find Chalmers information and, and, and social media accounts? Yeah, charmerswine.com.au is our website. If you want to pick up a bottle, we recommend you pop into a Black Arts and Sparrows store around Melbourne or um, the Cremor and Annadale Group in, in Sydney are our key retailers. Um, and we're Chalmers Wines on Twitter and Kim Chalmers and Tanil Chalmers on Instagram. We also have a Chalmers Wines Australia page on Facebook. Fantastic. Well, uh, I do appreciate you, uh, as I say, making some time. And I'm sure everyone will uh, look forward to 21st Century Vino. It looks like an absolutely fantastic event. We'll look forward to seeing you there. Okay. Thank you very much and uh, see you soon. Thanks, James. Thank Great you. And as always, Vincasters, thank you for listening to another episode of The Vincast. I have been James Scarcebrook, otherwise known as The Intrepid Wino, and you can follow me on social media at, at The Vincast on Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at The Vincast. If you want to find me on Facebook, you can come to facebook.com forward slash Intrepid Wino, but definitely come and visit me on my website, intrepidwino.com, which has every episode of the podcast as well as lots of different writings and is the best way of uh, finding out how you can get in contact with me. The best way to listen to the podcast is by subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher, Player FM, the podcasts app or any other app you might use on your smartphone and that way you can download the episode as soon as it goes up and listen to it whenever you want to. And, uh, of course, if you do that, please do give me a rating and a review. I'd love to hear from you, uh, as well as um, the, the guests that make their uh, very precious time available to me. They love hearing from you as well. Uh, I will see you for episode number 50. Very, very exciting. But until next time, bye.